Live around the globe, it's time for Rudy Max's World on the SSI Radio Network. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the deserts, bear, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. Travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. Get on the phone now and call 800-387-8025. That's 1-800-387-8025. Or email the show at info at rudymaxa.com. And now, the savvy traveler himself, Rudy Maxa. Welcome aboard. I am indeed Rudy Maxa, the savvy traveler. If I have to open a show one more time, by noting that this was another week of canceled and delayed airline flights due to winter weather, I think I'm going to suggest we all just move for the winter to Palm Springs, California, just every winter. In fact, it's likely that even as I speak to you live on Saturday morning, remember a lot of our shows, a lot of our stations, excuse me, time shift this show to later on Saturday or even Sunday. But as I brought, broadcast live at 10.06 Eastern on Saturday morning, even the Willamette Valley, the wine-growing region of Oregon, is uh, getting acquainted with a, a brutal winter. Now, remember, just because the weather is clear where you are doesn't mean your flight will fly as scheduled. So if it's stuck in snow somewhere, that throws off dozens of other flights. In fact, um, did I say flights? I meant flights. Hmm, probably dozens of flights, too, at airports. In fact, in about two minutes, uh, we're going to meet a man who works for Orbitz in the company's command center. His name is Chris Hills. And it's his job and his colleagues' jobs to forecast weather and monitor flight delays in order to alert passengers who bought tickets on orbits about possible delays or cancellations. I have got to think the last four weeks have been hell for Mr. Hills. Well, a plane flying from Ukraine with 110 passengers landed safely at an airport in Istanbul after a passenger claiming to have a bomb demanded the aircraft be redirected to the site of the Winter Olympics Games to Sochi, Russia. Um... Early reports said he was drunk. R reports as of this Saturday morning say no, he wasn't a drunk, but he wasn't drunk, but he may have been on some other energy-inducing uh, something, liquid pill, whatever. Anyway, he was a little out of his mind. Um, the pilots of the aircraft wisely turned off the in-flight map that where you can follow the progress of your flight as it traverses the in the air above the ground. So he didn't quite know that the plane was actually landing in Istanbul instead of at Sochi. Um, Turkish Special Security Forces entered the plane and arrested the hijacker without incidents. There was no gunfire. Nobody was hurt. And folks at the Olympics didn't know about it till after the opening ceremonies were over. But still, we don't know whether the guy was in a rush to get to the Winter Olympics because he missed his flight or whether he had more sinister intentions. So far, they've found nothing in his background. At least nothing has been reported yet that indicates he was had ill intent. But anyway, not a happy thing. Uh, we are going to take a fascinating look at skyjacking today, by the way. Younger flyers probably don't know that the hijacking of airplanes long before 9-11 were almost a weekly occurrence for a couple years. We're going to talk with Brendan Corner, whose book titled The Skies Belong to Us, Love and Terror in the Golden Age of Hijacking. It takes a fascinating look at that era and tells the very twisted love story of a couple who pulled off the longest distance hijacking in history even made it out of the U.S. with a half million dollars of ransom before things went very bad. Do you know that airlines fought tooth and nail to stall the insulation of X-ray machines at airports? They thought impeding passengers' travel through the airport would doom the industry. Nobody would want to fly anymore. And they calculated that absorbing the cost of hijackers was better than trying to detect them before they boarded a plane. They thought 20000 bucks to land a plane in Cuba, because that's where most of the early hijackings were uh, directed, now, we'll land in Havana, we'll let the guy off, we'll fly back, it'll cost us 20000 in fuel and time loss, but, you know, better than having to install all those, any security devices that might keep people from flying. You're going to want to hear what Brendan Kerner has at 18 after the hour. And I wasn't the only resident of St. Paul, Minnesota, to awake one morning last week to learn that, or this week, that USA Today had named the city's 
America's number one choice for a romantic getaway. Now, take it from someone who's lived in St. Paul for 10 years. Pardon me, but I'm skeptical. So I've asked Adam Johnson, the vice president of marketing for the city's Visitors and Convention Bureau, to join me, and I'm going to ask him to justify this uh, high honor. Plus, if you're not making it to Sochi, we'll talk with our travel editor. Uh, we'll talk with travel editor, not our travel editor. I'm your travel editor. We'll talk with a travel editor, uh, Janine Torrentore, who about five places with a pros train that you can visit and get your Olympian on right here. That's all coming up this hour, but let's turn our attention to this wicked winter weather that's touched travel, both by planes, trains, and automobiles globally. I mean, this has affected flights globally, even though the weather's here. Uh, for the last four weeks. As I mentioned a moment ago, it's Chris Hill's job to keep a weather eye, literally, on the world's weather in order to alert passengers who are traveling on tickets purchased through orbits if things are going south. Um, I have to think, Chris, that these last four weeks have verged on pandemonium around your office, yes? Or is it just business as usual there? <laughs> well, um, it, it usually is pretty bad in the wintertime, but this January has really been a record setter for when it comes to delays and cancellations. Um, just... Just in the month of January, we sent out as many uh, cancellation alerts at Orbitz as we sent out in the entire third quarter or fourth quarter in 2013. So it has and been really busy for us. How many of you are sitting in that, for lack of a better term, command center in Chicago watching weather maps and flights? Um, we actually have a team of three people. Um, we're all former air traffic controllers, and uh, we have a, a good de um, a weather background as well. And so we forecast what the weather is going to do to each of the airports uh, throughout the United States and Canada, and we forecast what the delays will be and uh, how the air traffic is going to be affected by the weather. Do you also have information coming in from airlines telling you what flights are canceled in real time? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we get a, a feed from the airlines, and it gets um, fed to us um, in real time. Uh, that way we, you know, we check the, the flight status at 24 hours, 5 hours, and 3 hours, and then we also do it uh, whenever the airlines actually do have a cancellation or delay, so that way we let our customers know immediately if there's a problem with their flight. So then you zap out an email to everyone who bought a ticket on Orbit saying, look, your flight delay is going to be delayed two hours or has been canceled or whatever. Exactly, yeah. So we send now, out those but alerts, but we also send out the, uh, the air traffic alerts that will go out probably you know two to three hours before your flight if there is a weather delay, and those are the ones that uh, my air traffic team sends out. Okay. You don't rebook the flights for all these folks. No, no. What we do is we uh, tell the customers to to contact Orbit, um, you know, via the phone and, and get rebooked that way, or uh, or call the airline. Um, you know, I many see. times the the cancellations occur at the airport themselves. Um, this actually happened to me a couple of days ago. I was flying out of Chicago, and uh, you know, our flight was canceled. You know, big surprise. And so um, I got on my phone and and called Orbit, and also at the same time I got in line uh, for the for the ticket counter, so I kind of multitasked so I could see who I got to first um, to get rebooked. And so I recommend people do that when they're traveling as well to get canceled while they're at the airport. All right. What do you say? Are you working this weekend right now? Um, yeah, I'm kind of working, kind of keeping an eye on things. We've got, uh, you know, snow showers, you know, going through the Chicago area. Of course, we're only supposed to get a couple of inches there, so delays and cancellations shouldn't be too bad. But uh, there's a big storm in the uh, uh, Northern California area that's delaying flights into San Francisco by about three hours. So if you are flying Whoa. to uh, you know, SFO, yeah, you can see, uh, uh, you'll probably see major delays getting into that airport. Now, keep in mind, Chris Hills is speaking at about 10, uh, 10, 10 on uh, 10, 13 a.m. Eastern time on Saturday morning as he's telling you this. You know, I've got to say goodbye to you, Chris, but I just got to say, when you say we're just getting a couple inches in Chicago, that paralyzes Atlanta, for goodness sake, and it scares the <laughs> heck out of them. <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah it really does. Uh, Atlanta-Hartsfield does really well with thunderstorms, but when it comes to snow, it, they, don't, they don't do great there. 
you, you, you would know. You're on the front lines. Hey, Chris Hills, good luck. I hope the weather improves for all of our sakes, and so you can put your feet up and smoke a cigar and have a glass of scotch while you're working. I agree. Thank you very much. Took a minute for Chris Hills to try to imagine that mental picture. Chris Hills is an air traffic analyst with Orbits Worldwide. Nice to have him aboard. Nice to have you aboard as well. After this break, we're going to tell you an incredible story of a hijacking that electrified the world when it happened and why it took so long for America to begin screening passengers for weapons. You're listening to Rudy Max's World. Glad you are. Don't go away. To participate in the program and speak with Rudy Maxa, call 800-387-8025 or email the show at info at rudymaxa.com. Travel rewards usually take forever to earn and even longer to redeem. Introducing Orbitz Rewards, the instant approach. Earn and redeem rewards instantly. Book a flight, use the rewards right away for your hotel. Book your hotel and use the rewards to stay longer. Book a package, well, you get the picture. Earn even more when you book using the Orbitz app. 5% on hotels, 2% on flights. Join today and get instant vacation gratification. Go to Orbitz.com slash rewards. That's Orbitz.com slash rewards. Or visit RudyMaxa.com under sponsors. Are you suffering from itchy skin? It's terrible. The itch you can't seem to scratch, being miserable and uncomfortable, you just want immediate relief that lasts. You need TriCalm. It's new and not like the same old itch products in your medicine cabinet. Dermatologist recommended TriCalm relieves itchy skin in minutes, and it's backed by the itch-free guarantee. If TriCalm doesn't stop your itch, just mail them the empty tube and they'll send you a full refund. TriCalm comes in a blue and white box in the first aid aisle at CVS, Walgreens, and other fine retailers. Get TriCalm today and get relief. I believe I can do anything. So when it came to learning a new language, I knew I had to do it the way I learn. No books, no memorizing or translating. I wanted to learn the same way I learned my first language, naturally. That's why I chose Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone invites you to be a part of its biggest language learning event in history. Because this year, we want to help three million people learn a new language. That's why we're going to give you an absolutely free demo of our language immersion technology. To participate in this free nationwide event, just call 1-800-441-3955. Si yo puedo hacerlo, usted puede hacerlo. If I can do it, you can do it. To participate in this free nationwide event, call now for your free demo from Rosetta Stone. Call 1-800-441-3955. That's 1-800-441-3955. To join Rudy Maxa, call 800-387-8025. You can email the show at info at rudymaxa.com. Now back to Rudy Maxa's World. It's 18 minutes after the hour. You know, before 1961, there had never been a hijacking in American airspace. Well, there had been some just before that, since Castro took over, after Castro took over government in Cuba. Some Cubans had tried to hijack planes to the United States. Uh, a couple of them were executed by a firing squad for their efforts in Cuba. Um, and in uh, 1954, a 15-year-old boy tried to hijack a plane in Cleveland Airport. It never got off uh, the uh, the ground. Uh, he was actually shot to death by the pilot who pulled a Colt 38 out of his bag. I know this and a lot more because for the last week I have been reading a fascinating book that I can't recommend highly enough to you. It's called The Skies Belong to Us 
Subtitled Love and Terror in the Golden Age of Hijacking. We'll get to the love and uh, part uh, eventually with our author, Bernard Kerner. It's published by Crown Publishing, and it's just a riveting book. And I lived through this year. I graduated from college in 67, for, excuse me, uh, high school in 67, college in 71. So I well remember the 70s and the hijackings, but I didn't remember it as well as I should have remembered it until I read this book. Uh, Brendan Kerner is the author of the book. He joins uh, me today on the line. Uh, Brendan, welcome to the show. Nice to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me, Rudy. You established, I mean, you look back on this and and came to conclusions that it really didn't occur to us in, when, when these events were happening on a piecemeal basis. A couple of them are that hijackers got ideas for hijacking from other hijackers, Absolutely. that many of the people, the personal, they had distinctive personalities, we'll talk about it in a minute, often, and that this is what really surprised me, that for years... The airlines considered hijacking sort of lost leaders, sort of things. It would cost a little money, but, you know, because I guess in the beginning the hijackings were mainly to Cuba by Americans, correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. And they, they weren't violent. The, the philosophy of the airlines was that if we acquiesce to all of the, the hijackers' demands, then it's going to end up in one way. The, the plane will go to Cuba. Um, the hijacker will be taken off by the Cuban police, and then the passengers in the plane will be allowed to turn around and come back, and no one will be hurt. And sure, they'll be out a couple thousand dollars for fuel and landing fees and inconvenience and all those things. But in the long run, they figured that was much, much cheaper than actually having security at the airport. You have to keep in mind, this is an era in which there was no security at airports whatsoever. Nothing, right. You could li literally walk from the, the, the curb all the way through the airport, onto the tarmac, up the boarding stairs, sometimes even onto the plane without a ticket, without ID, without anyone searching your, your luggage or your person. Seems hard to believe now, doesn't it? And there, uh, there were two fa fascinating, this book's filled with fascinating factoids. For example, that eventually the airlines were acquiescing so much to this that uh, planes that flew all around, American planes that flew anywhere, had, a, had an air map for Cuba just in case they got hijacked, Correct. Yeah, they were, they were so ready for it. In fact, I found out in the course of doing this that, you know, even up until I, uh, talking to pilots who retired in the, in the early part of this century, saying even, you know, in 2006, 2007, they still had maps of the Caribbean in their, in their cockpits, regardless of where they were going. It's kind of a, you know, that harkens back to this whole era of Cuban hijacking. And, and we, uh, when America cut off diplomatic relations with Cuba, our diplomatic household responsibilities were handled through the Swiss Embassy, and they, you reported, had a form. They pre-printed a form to, to fill out when a plane was hijacked. It was sort of like, I don't know, just yep. a routine kind of thing. Yeah, because the airlines, the number one priority for them was to get the, the airplane back as quickly as possible, and there was some, you know, some bureaucratic um, you know, eye-dotting that had to go along with this. And so the Swiss Embassy, the interest section, the American interest section there, try to expedite the process. We just kind of fill in the flight number and the relevant information, and they would try to get back within 24 hours. This is so hard to believe, given today's security-conscious world. Um, talk a little... Well, talk... Okay, so, so our early hijackings were largely to Havana by folks who thought they'd be heroes of the revolution and so on. Mm -hmm. um, talk a little about the personality of the hijackers and how hijacking morphed into a more deadly game than uh, simply an inconvenience for passengers. Yeah, this was a real challenge in writing the book. There were just so many hijackings that it, would, it was hard to get a, a grip on what united all of these people. And, you know, if they all had different state of political motives or, or backgrounds or situations they were in. And I realized the one unifying principle among all of them is they were all in desperate circumstances. 
Um, you could scratch beneath the surface of their stated motives, and you would usually find people who are out of work, people who had been traumatized in Vietnam, people who had love affairs gone wrong, people who thought that they were in such a dead end in their lives, they had to do something really radical to, to reinvent themselves and kind of get them out of this really desperate circumstance. So that was a real unifying principle, regardless of what the stated motive. Um, you know, as you said, if there was this air of these hijackings going only to Cuba, you know, of course, the airlines are so permissive, of course, hijackers started trying kind of crazier and crazier things. They started trying to go to places other than Cuba. And, uh, for example, in 1968, uh, 69, excuse me, there was a real landmark hijacking involving an Italian-American Marine who wanted to go to Rome. And uh, the airlines stuck by their policy of total compliance to let him go to Rome uh, via, via Bangor, Maine, and Shannon, Ireland. And after that, the epidemic morphed, and, and hijackers realized that they could go anywhere in the world. <laughs> that the airlines didn't care. And not only did the airlines uh, consider it a cost of doing business, uh, there were no laws against it for a while. Yeah, that's just fascinating to me. When they created the you know, government oversight of, of aviation, civil aviation, in 1958, um, they didn't actually make hijacking a crime in that legislation. Um, so when these initial hijackings happened in 1961, you know, they could prosecute them for kidnapping and other charges, but there was no crime of air piracy. And that uh, that that Italian American pilot who 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 hijacked the plane to Rome, he was upset because the he felt the U.S. Army, where he had served, owed him an extra two hundred dollars for something. He got to Italy. He was a very good-looking young man. He became a heartthrob. Uh, the court let him off with, I think, what a year in prison was it? Uh, I think eighteen months ultimately. And he still apparently is running something in Naples, a pizza parlor or something, where he or, or, or Genoa, where he welcomes visitors who remember his uh, famous yeah, escapade. He does. He lives in his native his native town in Italy. And you, he actually, if you, if you if you look him up on YouTube, he has his own YouTube channel as well. So you can kind of keep tabs <laughs> on what he's up to these days. Um, incredible. So when so then there became a year. What was it? Seventy one or seventy two? When things went nuts. Yeah, I'd say really the end of 71, and, and then 72 was just crazy. That was the end of the epidemic, and that was really the most violent, you know, just nuts year in terms of the, the um, outlandishness and the, the, the bizarre nature of the hijacking that took place and, and really the bloodshed that was involved. You have the, at the FBI getting involved then with snipers and undercover agents who would have shootouts on planes. You had hijackers were becoming ever more violent and ever more willing to use violence to, to, to get to their purposes. So, you know, that and, was the year that things really took a turn for the worse, and the airlines started to realize they couldn't have this policy of total compliance anymore. But but up to that point, they were the ones who were talking some legislatures out of putting any security at the airport. In fact, they were floating all kinds of ideas, one of which was, the most popular one was, Putting something down in Florida to uh, fool the hijackers, a la Friday's hijacking in in uh, in, in, in between uh, the Ukraine and Turkey. Yeah, no, they wanted to build a fake Havana airport in a field <laughs> in South Florida, and thinking, well, when hijackers ask to go to Havana, we'll just land them there and arrest them when they get off the plane. And it was actually taken this idea was taken quite seriously by the FAA. Um, they ultimately dismissed it because it would be too expensive. They were just going to build a, 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 a Potemkin airport in Florida and have Spanish-speaking exactly. people greet him at the gate and then arrest him or something, right? Yep, exactly. Unbelievable. My guest is Brendan Kerner. He is the author of a, a book called The Skies Belong to Us. It's published by Crown. Yeah, I've asked uh, uh, Brendan to stay through the commercial break. We're going to talk about two very unusual hijackers, which is really the... Uh, narrative thread in, in, in this fascinating book. Uh, we'll talk about that after the break. We just got about another minute before we have to uh, stop for commercials. 
But Brendan, so when did when did it did the United States realize you know, we got to stop people taking guns on the plane somehow? Well, the biggest there was a real landmark hijack in November 1972, where three hijackers uh, asked for ten million dollars, and they didn't get it. They would crash the plane into a nuclear reactor in Tennessee, and that was the real moment where the airlines realized that not having security on the ground was just too risky. What year was that? Uh, 19, November 1972. Boy, it took a while for the scales to fall off the eyes, didn't it? Absolutely. Unbelievable. This is just a fascinating uh, story. How long did you work on this book? This is about four years out of my life. Wow. Well, it, the hard work shows the attention to detail. As I say, these 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 factoids that are just stunning. That uh, <laughs> that the Swiss interest section in Cuba had a form that pilots could fill out so they could get back to the states quickly after that divergence. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about this strange romance between two hijackers that led to. I think they 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 accomplished the longest hijacking in the history of the world. Right? They did. All right. We're going to talk about this. Uh, this this love match between Roger Holder and Kathy Kirkow. We're talking with Brendan Kerner, author of The Skies Belong to Us. The subtitle is Love and Terror in the Golden Age of Hijacking. We'll get to the love and terror part right after this break. Don't go away. Rudy Max's world is coming right back. So get on the phone now at 800-387-8025. That's 1-800-387-8025. You can also enjoy the program anytime at RudyMaxa.com. I don't like sit-down dinners. I don't go to sit-down strikes. I like standing room only. And I don't ride bikes. This Pretty Bad song is by a guy with pretty bad hemorrhoids. He needs Preparation H relief with the power of two. First, use fast-acting Preparation H medicated wipes, then longer-lasting Preparation H maximum strength cream. Let's sit together on the porch swing. Preparation H. Don't stand for hemorrhoids. Use as directed. Look for Preparation H at Rite Aid. Now, here's something you don't hear on the radio every day. Someone who can't see. I am totally blind. So I go through periods when I'm unable to sleep at night. And I feel like I'm constantly running, but can never quite catch up. But this isn't a sleep problem. It's something called non-24-hour disorder. Learn more about non-24 by calling 855-856-2424 or visiting learnmorenon24.com. Participate in the program, call now at 800-387-8025 or log on to RudyMaxa.com. Here's Rudy Maxa. If you just joined us, we're in the middle of a conversation with Brendan Kerner. He's the author of a, of a book called The Skies Belong to Us. It's published by Crown. The subtitle is Love and Terror in the Golden Age of Hijacking. And if this is as fascinating to you as it is to me, check out his website, theskiesbelongtous.com. We've talked a little about the... Uh, sort of history of hijacking and how it, long it took both the government and the airlines to admit they needed a little security. But meanwhile, there's this couple, and this is the narrative spine of, uh, of 
Bernard's book. Uh, Roger Holder and Kathy Kirkow, could you give us a thumbnail personality sketch of each of these and tell me, tell us what they did and why? Sure, yeah, Roger Holder uh, was a Vietnam veteran, served four tours there and had um, actually been in prison for marijuana use during his third tour and got went AWOL coming back to the U.S. was living in San Diego uh, kind of uh, on the land as a hustler a little bit and he meets Kathy Kirko, a 20-year-old uh, woman from Coos Bay, Oregon working massage parlor uh, in San Diego, and they kind of fall in love and become infatuated with one another and decide to liberate the imprisoned black radical Angela Davis by hijacking a plane, and they want to exchange the passengers for Angela Davis and a large amount of money. Now, Angela Davis knew nothing, let's be clear, Angela Davis knew nothing about this, and in fact, when she did, she (laughs) didn't want anything to do with it, but but this was sort of a way of making a statement of being somebody for this bitter GI, is that... Yeah, very much so. He had a real grievance against the Army. Um, Things had ended quite badly for him. He felt slighted about the way he'd been treated over his uh, marijuana court-martial. And he really wanted to, you know, to make himself heard and and make his displeasure known uh, about the way he'd been treated. Okay, so this was his destiny. He was going to become famous for freeing the black radical Angela Davis and make some money, about a half a million dollars along the way. So how did they do it, and what happened? Well, they, uh, they get on a Western Airlines plane bound for Seattle. Um, they want to get on a plane for Hawaii, um, and they make a mistake getting one for Seattle. Um, they take it over, um, and unfortunately, Angela Davis, as you said, wants nothing to do with them, uh, so she won't go with them, but the airline does give them half a million dollars in San Francisco, as well as a new plane, the plane they hijacked with the Boeing 727. It's a short-range plane. So Western Airlines gives them a, a 720, uh, which is capable of traversing the ocean. And when they make the switch, they bring half the passengers. And Roger Holder makes a decision to not go to Vietnam, which was the original destination of the hijacking, but he wants to go to Algeria instead. And so they take him there with Kathy Kirko in tow. With a half million dollars in their, in their bags. With a half million dollars in cash in a, in a, in a satchel, yes. And he was, Roger, I'm sure, was expecting Algeria to embrace him as a bold American radical, helping you know a black radical in the United States. Didn't quite go that way, did it? No, not at all. Algeria was a very interesting country at the time. It was kind of like Venezuela is today, very mm-hmm. anti-American, uh, revolutionary socialist government, but also you know fueled by petrodollars. Um, and so they land there, and actually there's a, a Black Panther commune there headed by Eldridge Cleaver, the author of Soul on Ice, who was in exile there. Um, and they get there, and you're right, things do not turn out that well. Eldridge Cleaver is kind of a loose cannon, infuriates the Algerian government after a few months. Um, some more hijackers eventually come, and a separate hijacking, and that kind of sets things unraveling, and eventually the commune uh, dissolves. And what happened to the, the love couple? They actually managed to flee to Paris. Um, and where the French actually embraced them. Um, the French, obviously, uh, um, you know, very anti-American at that time as well. Uh, the, the radical left was very much in the, in the ascendancy there, and they saw them as folk heroes in a lot of ways. And then? <laughs> well, I don't want to give away too much. I want people to read the book. So ah, good point. Their, their, their story does not end in Paris. It no, it certainly doesn't there. end in Paris. And what's fascinating is you actually spent hours talking uh, to Roger, uh, didn't you, now that he's back in the States, as it were? I, I did, I did. It took me a while, but I actually tracked him down and uh, spent a really interesting time with him. And uh, very intelligent, very charismatic, really funny guy, but also obviously, you know, uh, deeply wounded and, and really has had a difficult life uh, on account did- of the choices he's made. I don't want to give away the, the, the ending, as you say, but did did he understand he was or is deeply wounded? 
That's a really fascinating question. I think he does. I think he does. And I think that it was difficult for him looking back and realizing how much chaos he caused by hijacking this plane, especially in his own family. Um, you know, he had young twin daughters from his uh, first wife when he did this, and they grew up without a father as a result. So he realized that, that, that he wounded people. But at the same time, this was his one moment of greatness in his life, and, and I think he kept on trying to relive it in some way. If you'd like to read the rest of the story, as one famous radio broadcaster used to say, uh, of what happened to Roger Holder and Kathy Kirkow and their strange romance and their strange decision to uh, make a bid for fame and, uh, and uh, a place in the history books, pick up a copy. The Skies Belong to You. Go to theskiesbelongtoyou.com or just go to Amazon or your local bookstore. The Skies Belong to You. Uh, Bernard Kerner's last name is spelled K-O-E-R-N-E-R. -E -E Bernard Kerner is the author. He's been kind enough to join me for two sec. Uh, he's been kind enough to join me for this show, and I'm delighted. Bernard, thank you so much for dropping in. Congratulations on a riveting, very well written, and certainly well researched book. Oh, thanks a million, Rudy. I appreciate it. Take care. Take care. I got to tell you, this. Uh, you know, you don't have to be an aviation buff uh, to, to really appreciate the bizarre twisted history of how we got to the security we now have in our airports in the United States. And you might notice that there aren't, a, I was going to say this week when I was thinking about the show, I was going to say, and you notice we don't have any hijackings. And then, of course, on Friday comes word that a guy gets on in Ukraine and says, take this to Sochi. That had a happy ending. Uh, I hope all do in the future. Stick around. We'll be back with more Rudy Max's World. Now to talk to Rudy Maxa at 800-387-8025. You can also email the show anytime at info at rudymaxa.com. You've heard the news stories about major retailers and the hackers that got into their data. Actually, your data. Take steps to help protect yourself with Identity Guard. Identity Guard monitors your name, address, social security number, and credit information. If they see potentially suspicious activity, they promptly notify you. Get a free 30-day trial of Identity Guard when you sign up at IdentityGuard.com protect. Monitor your credit and social security number free for 30 days. Go to IdentityGuard.com protect. That's IdentityGuard.com protect. Now here's something you don't hear on the radio every day. Someone who can't see. I am totally blind. So I go through periods when I'm unable to sleep at night. And I feel like I'm constantly running, but can never quite catch up. But this isn't a sleep problem. It's something called non-24 hour disorder. Learn more about non-24 by calling 855-856-2424 or visiting learnmorenon24.com. You thought Boost Mobile had low prices before, but now they're dropping lower than ever for anyone switching to a Boost 4G LTE device by March 31st. Are the prices this low? Now, lower. $35 a month low. How about this? Now, try $35 a month for six months low. Wow, that's low. You're right, it's low. That's how Boost Mobile does it. They go $35 a month for six months low, all with unlimited talk, text, and data. Oh, baby, for only $35 a month? I'm down with that. Available at Boost Mobile, Best Buy, and Radio Shack. Boost Mobile, be heard. No, no, like this. <clears throat> Boost Mobile, be heard. Offer available 2614 to 331.14 at BoostMobile.com and select retailers only. Limited to new accounts and purchase a 4G LTE device. Rates increase after introductory rate. Coverage not available everywhere. Includes 2.5 gigabytes per month for high-speed data. See BoostMobile.com slash 35 plan or participating dealer for details.
Ron Delano, Attorney Houston. If you've been diagnosed with mesothelioma, you may be entitled to a tax-free share of billions of dollars that have been set aside for mesothelioma cancer patients. Second-hand asbestos exposure can also cause mesothelioma. Many patients were exposed to asbestos and didn't even know it. Call right now to get the facts about your legal rights and possible financial compensation. Call 800-764-3000. 800-764-3000. This eczema is driving me crazy. All I do is... No matter what I use on this dry, itchy red skin, I can't stop... Introducing the first eczema lotion from Cortisone 10. It contains the strongest non-prescription itch medicine to relieve the... Plus seven moisturizers to help heal severe dry skin. Once you start using it, you'll stop the for good. Ah, that's better. New Cortisone 10 Eczema Lotion. Feel the heal. Got a question or comment? Need advice? Jump on board now by calling the show at 800-387-8025 or visit the show anytime at RudyMaxa.com. Now back to Rudy Max's World. Indeed, you are back in Rudy Max's World, where it's 43 minutes after the hour. Leslie Carmen's been on a lot lately. She's the travel ex- expert for TripAdvisor.com, but she keeps coming up with interesting ideas. And I thought, given that Skyfall, the new James Bond movie, uh, opens up this Thursday in the United States, we ought to have her on because she has compiled a list of some of the hotels that have been uh, seen or have been settings for scenes in James Bond movies. So, as I said at the top of the hour, even if you can't be James Bond, you could at last at least live like him for a night or two in, in these luxury hotels. Leslie, welcome to the show. Nice to have you here, as always. Oh, thank you for having me. So let's go over this list here. I'm sorry, reaching down the down uh, to my executive file on the floor to pick it up. Um, I, I think probably the most accessible for the average American is the Las Vegas uh, LVH, the Las Vegas Hotel and Casino, which used to be known as the Las Vegas Hilton. Correct. That's right. Yeah, that was uh, the Las Vegas Hilton, and they filmed Diamonds Are Forever there. Uh, there's a, a scene where James Bond climbs up to the roof of the hotel. He takes an elevator, an exterior elevator, and climbs up to the roof. It's a great scene. Uh, and uh, that um, the rooms there are relatively cheap. They start at forty nine dollars. <laughs> Vegas is incredible when it comes to room rates. As long as I it's know. not a, as long as it's not a big convention in town. So it's now the yeah, LVH. Exactly. The, there is no that big white building that was the Hilton is now the LVH, the Las Vegas Hotel and Casino. Do not try the out- climbing outside the building to go to the roof thing, by, by <laughs> all means. Um, and one of the most exotic, I think, on your list is in uh, is in India in Udaipur. That's right. It's the Taj Lake Palace Udaipur, uh, and that's um, they filmed some scenes from Octopussy there. It's absolutely beautiful. It's um, it was actually TripAdvisor's number one hotel in Asia for our 2012 Traveler's Choice Awards, and uh, just has rave reviews. It's not cheap. It starts around six hundred dollars a night, but if you want, you know, the very definition of opulence, uh, that's the place to go. You said that uh, you noticed that there was a, an escape scene located along the lake that surrounds this hotel. Uh, yeah, that's right. It's um, it's right on the water. It's just a, a beautiful setting. James Bond has very good taste in hotels in general. <laughs> yeah, I, I these hotels. I wonder if they if they do get a sort of boost in business after the, after they're shown in these movies, or if people just because you know they're they're never really identified by name, are they? 
or not? I, I don't think they usually are. And in some cases, like in the um, for the Las Vegas Hilton, they, they didn't call it the Las Vegas Hilton. I think it was the White Casino or something like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, people can definitely look up the, the filming locations, and if they're interested That's in true. going, I'm sure they, they get a, a little bit of a boost from the James Bond fans. i got to tell you, if I ran a hotel and they wanted permission to shoot, that would be in the contract that somewhere they put the nameplate of the... I mean, just think <laughs> of what uh, Pretty Woman did for what is now the uh, Four Seasons Regent, Four Seasons Beverly Wilshire, whatever, uh, on, That's right. on uh, Wilshire Drive in, in Beverly Hills. I mean, that hotel... Uh, it's recognizability, it's business just shot through the roof once uh, Julia Roberts was ensconced there with Richard Gere and Pretty Woman. Okay, a couple others here. What, list, give us a couple other hotels. Um, well, there's the Hotel Cala de Volpe in Sardinia, Italy. Um, the Spy Who Loved Me was filmed there. And this one, it's another just top-of-the-line five-star hotel. Um, it's uh, TripAdvisor travelers love it. That's the one where um, he has a car that turns into a submarine and then back into a car. He drives up onto the beach. Uh, that scene was shot right there. <laughs> the Hotel Cala de Vol Volpe in Sardinia, Italy. Cala de Volpe, sorry. And then also uh, in Europe is the... Kempinski in Ham the Atlantic Kempinski in Hamburg, Germany for Tomorrow Never Dies. Also on the shores of a lake. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And that's also another climbing up to the roof of the hotel scene. Uh, Pierce Brosnan does that in Tomorrow Never Dies. And of course, I think probably the the one the one most famous climbing the hotel scene is uh, uh, recently came out in um, the Tom Cruise movie uh, that and it was that the Burj Al Arab in Dubai. Did you see that scene? Oh, I haven't seen that. No, but I've heard Ooh. about it. Yeah. yeah. All right, we only got about 40 <laughs> seconds left. Let me mention some others. The famous Hotel Cipriani um, in, in Venice, Italy, is in Casino Royale, and in Nassau, the British Colonial Hilton in Nassau. And also, I, I remember in Nassau, the one, what's now called the one and only uh, was in the first, uh, first Daniel Craig one. And then you've got the Grand Hotel Ciudad in Mexico City in License to Kill. Mm -hmm. And the Stoke Park Country Club in uh, Goldfinger and Tomorrow Never Dies. Well, they got two movies. Yeah, they got two. A couple of them have uh, have been locations for a few of the films. Yeah. Oh, this is great fun. We're going to post these hotels uh, later today on my Facebook page, Rudy Maxadash TV Show, so you can see what uh, Leslie's picked for you. And uh, uh, again, just don't try climbing to the roofs on the outside of these buildings. We ask you, Leslie. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Leslie Carlin's a travel expert for TripAdvisor. Com. Good, clean, fun. Thursday, I got my calendar marked for the new James Bond movie. Can't wait. We'll be right back. Rudy Max's World phone lines are open now, so call us at 800-387-8025. We'll be back after these messages. The telephone number to call the program is 800-387-8025. That's 1-800-387-8025. Or visit the show online at rudymaxa.com. Here again is Rudy Maxa. Welcome back. The travel website Cheap Air this week announced it would be the nation's first online travel agency to accept Bitcoin for hotel reservations. You can now use Bitcoin to buy flights and book hotel rooms on Cheap Air. The company joins, oh, in Vegas, the D Las Vegas Casino Hotel, the Golden Gate Hotel and Casino, and accepting Bitcoins. I don't know for betting, but for, I guess, lodging. Bitcoin, of course, is that virtual currency that either, either is this generation's version of tulip madness, as in 
Holland decades ago or centuries ago or the next best thing after cash. I don't know. You be the judge. Uh, Janine uh, Torrentor is the travel editor for Orbits.com, and she uh, has, well, I, have you ever been to St. Paul, Minnesota, Janine? I have not. A previous guest uh, was, uh, was, was on remarking, USA Today's uh, uh, readers voted St. Paul the best city in the United States, best romantic city for a romantic getaway. Can you believe that? I'm, I live in St. Paul, Janine, and I don't believe that. It beats Savannah, Naples, Florida, and Santa Fe, Unbelievable, San Francisco. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah, I'd be surprised people would really want to go there in February, maybe in the summer. Summer is summer is beautiful, yes. Um, but you have you have several places that we can go in lieu of going to Sochi in Russia during for the Winter Olympics. You have places where some of our Olympians have trained that you and I can go and 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 hang out and ski in, right? I do. In fact, a lot of the major ski resorts in the U.S. are home to Olympic athletes and have amazing training centers. And you can ski down the same terrain and the same courses that these guys train on. And um, a lot of them competed in the qualifying um, competitions earlier this season. And so you can go down these same courses. Um, I really love Park City, Utah. Mm. 35 minutes outside of Salt Lake City, so it's so easy to get to from the airport. They're actually getting three feet of snow there this weekend. I was there yesterday, and it was snowing. It was gorgeous. But there are 29 U.S. Olympic athletes that call Park City home, and it's also home to the Utah Olympic Park, which hosted the 2002 Winter Olympics. So you can actually ride down a bobsled run, one of the skeleton runs, and you can take a ski lift to the top of the highest altitude ski jump. So you can sort of get the feel for what these guys are experiencing when you're standing at the top of that highest altitude ski jump. You know, that's yeah. quite um, quite a sight. Uh, there's also, uh, I know we've done a couple of remote locations, uh, remote shows, one in the summer, one in the winter from uh, – um, Mammoth uh, Mountain in or Mammoth uh, in 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 California. That's uh, also a big training pl- place for Olympians. It is Mammoth is um, a really big training place. Got it has a, a lot of great terrain there as well. Great um, you know snowboarding parks there for folks who are into that. Um, and um, you know North Star at Tahoe also in California um, is the home resort to Sean White, who everybody knows Sean White. He has his own signature self-designed half pipe there that you can ride, um, which I really love as well. And then there's Breckenridge, Colorado, which is another family favorite. They've actually gotten over 11 feet of snow in Breckenridge since January 1st. So if you're looking for great powder, that's the place to go. But they have some of the best on-snow training facilities in all of the country. Um, it's places where Carrie Herman, David Weiss trained. Um, and they actually, all of these ski resorts have really great promotions going on in February. You probably know Rudy February is a great time to go to the ski resorts because it's right before everybody heads out for spring break and you're going to find fantastic promotions like Keystone Colorado for example stay two nights and your kids 12 and under ski for free you can't really beat that Um, but for folks on the east coast too Lake Placid is one of those classic ski resorts Um, they hosted two Olympics there once in 1932 and then again which most people probably remember in 1980 Um, and you can go to the Miracle on Ice Arena um, home of that famed uh, hockey game you can take a toboggan shoot ride down um, one of those runs and they even have here this airbag jump which is a 50 foot by 50 foot giant airbag which you can kind of snowboard or ski off of a a jump and test out, you know, or practice your your skills there, and then, you know, injury-free, you land on this huge airbag, which is kind of fun. There's actually a picture of that in this weekend's Wall Street Journal that I'd never seen that airbag. It looks like just great fun. Yeah, I've never seen one of those before either, so I think that's something new they're trying out, and hopefully it, it, you know, spreads around to some of the West Coast resorts as well. Um, any, Any others before we say goodbye to you? 
Well, yeah, quickly, Vail, Colorado, um, Lindsay Vaughn, that's her home training, and unfortunately she's not competing in the Olympics this year, but they're actually going to be hosting. Um, it'll be the first big snowboarding event post-Olympics, the Burton U.S. Open Snowboarding Championship, which is the longest-running snowboard competition in the world, March 5th through 8th. So, you know, if you, you may see, if you can head out there in early March, you may see some hopefully gold medalists actually, you know, competing and uh doing some of those runs during that competition after the Olympics. Fabulous. Just fabulous. Well, and and, there, and, and I think uh, if you don't have a friend you can stay with in some of these places, packages are often good deals, aren't they? Airfare and hotel, maybe even a rental Air, car. Yeah, airfare and hotel packages are great deals. Or if you're heading with a big group or a family, you know, look for those condominium-style properties. Those are always great. And also know that most of these resorts, what's great about them is once you get in the resort town, you don't even really need a car to get around. Most of them have free you know, bus transportation all around town and up through the mountains, so it's it's super convenient and uh, very cost-effective. Terrific. Hey, thank you very much, Janine. Yeah, my pleasure. Janine Tor- uh, Tornator is the travel editor of the Orbits.com, and she was thoughtful enough to put together that uh, list for us. Um, let's see, can I do a quick deal of the week? Um, here, well, here, if you happen to live uh, um, in Los Angeles, um, Tasting Table has got a great deal for you to... Uh, enjoy some noodles in some uh, some Chinese uh, eating places. Just go to tastingtable.com and enter for your chance to win three hundred dollars to uh, for at noodle shops and three hundred dollars in Uber credit to get you around. I'll have more next hour. Stick around if your station's leaving us after this first hour. We'll see you next weekend. Most of our stations are staying for a second. I'm glad to say we'll be back in six minutes. You've been listening to Rudy Max's World, and as always, you're hearing Must Hear Radio on the SSI Radio Network.